Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quick talk. Fast talk. Street talk. Talk radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Radio you can believe in. Mike Graham. Speaking common sense unto the nation. On talk radio. Good morning, welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio, the world headquarters of common sense, on a day when it has never been more in demand, when it has never been more required, because common sense is definitely something that some are missing. And plenty of those people are talking on various other forms of the media this morning. The hysteria around the Boris Johnson birthday party has reached full fever pitch. The usual suspects are calling for the head of the Prime Minister, and many will agree with them. Some of you listening might even agree with them. There can be absolutely no doubt that millions of people in Britain were sickened at the antics of those in Downing Street who thought the rules did not apply to them, even though uh, they set them there. Yesterday, Boris himself said people have the right to expect better. He couldn't be more correct, could he? We do expect better from our leaders and this will not be the end of it. The voters will judge what should happen next at the local elections. The front page of the Daily Mail this morning says this. Don't they know there's a war on? Well, there is a war on indeed, but it is not just a war in Ukraine. There is a war going on in our high street. There is a war going on in the shops where prices are on the rise. There is a war at the bank where mortgage rates are heading upwards and upwards. And on the petrol forecourts as well, where queues are beginning to form again, despite the high cost of petrol and diesel per litre. But Boris Johnson isn't going anywhere, and neither should he. It's time for him to fix what's broken. The economy, the energy crisis, the immigration problem, Let's give him another chance to do what he was elected to do. 03444991000. There can be no doubt that the reason this story has taken on such magnitude is because of the manner in which it was investigated by the bungling and politically motivated Metropolitan Police. At the start of this week, Cressida Dick left her post as the chief of our biggest police force. Her political leanings were never in doubt. Could this have been her parting gift to the government, perhaps? Why on earth have they taken hundreds of officers out of their regular duties to investigate the crimes when they are going, and when are they going to conclude the investigation? We're told they may yet issue even more penalty notices. We'll be asking former Sun political editor George Pascoe Watson what he makes of it all, and our political editor Peter Cardwell will bring us his analysis as well. 0344 499 1000. Of course, we want to hear from you as well. Plenty of you will say, leave Boris Johnson alone. Plenty of you will remember what happened to you uh, during that time two years ago when you couldn't have a party, when you couldn't see uh, your relatives, you couldn't see uh, your sick and dying uh, elderly parents. You'll remember that. And you will have a view, and we want to hear it. Coming up as well, we'll be finding out why so many GPs are only working three days a week. Jamie Jenkins is here as well. He's our favourite statistician. He's going to run the line over those predicted numbers on COVID cases for Easter weekend. Yeah, that's right. They're telling us once again that the NHS might be overwhelmed. We'll also be finding out why appeal court judges are going to be having another look at the result of the Colston statue trial over concerns that the use of a human rights defence might lead to a vandal's charter. I hope they see sense. There's an awful lot going on. We're going to America as well. Um, You're listening right here to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. So fast growing that it's going to become a TV station. Talk TV. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Lots of pictures of Boris Johnson saying sorry on the front pages this morning, of course. People have the right to expect better says the Daily Telegraph. Sorry, says The Sun. And of course, on the front page of the Daily Mail, don't they know there's a war on? Let's talk to George Pascoe Watson, former political editor at The Sun. George, very good morning to you. 
Good morning, Mike. So here we are. Um, the final denouement, I suppose you might call it, of the longest police investigation into the smallest crime ever. Um, lots of people have got views on this. What's yours? Well, I think it is a very you know, difficult situation for the government, for the prime minister and, of course, for the chancellor as well, because he was dragged into this un unexpectedly. Um, the reality is there's no chance of the prime minister resigning. Um, there's no chance of the chancellor resigning. Uh, I think they take the view that they thought that what happened was not a breach of the law. That's why the Prime Minister went to the par Parliament and said what he said. Uh, he will now say, OK, I, I now stand corrected. I've apologised. I now know better and we'll move on. The difficulty, Mike, is going to be whether or not, as you say, the police continue to trot out uh, a succession of further fines for further uh, misdemeanours in, in sort of so-called gatherings. Uh, over the coming days, weeks and months, because that then does become difficult and becomes a huge yeah. distraction to the government. Well, that's why I wanted to raise the question of the police uh, in this particular first half hour, because, I mean, I'm not really that interested in the ins and outs of what happened in that room during those nine minutes of Boris Johnson's birthday. Everybody knows that he shouldn't have done it. Everybody knows that, you know, some people weren't able to do the same thing. They feel very bitter about it, especially those who weren't allowed to see their relatives and all of that. But let's look at what the police have actually done over the course of the past few weeks and months. They've hired hundreds and hundreds of, of, of investigating officers, taken them away from their regular work. Cressida Dick, by, by bizarre coincidence, finishes her job on Sunday as chief of the Metropolitan Police. And suddenly this story gets leaked because I understand it was leaked yesterday. We're not sure by whom, but it may well be that it was leaked from inside the police. Well, it's certainly true that uh, it caught everybody who's involved by surprise, people who would not normally be on holiday were on holiday, and you would expect them to have been uh, well aware of what was meant to be happening. So I think you're right in that suspicion. Mm. Uh, where it came from, I can't say and I don't know, but it is absolutely the case that this has become a heavily politicised police situation, mm. and, and that can't be good for anybody. It can't be good for the police either, who don't want to be dragged, you know, or serving officers don't want to be dragged into the politics of these things. Uh, and it's very, very important that they don't do. Uh, but it makes it hard to govern when you don't know uh, what is happening behind your back. And, and the critical thing, as you rightly say for our listeners this morning, uh, is that people are uh, confident that the government is focused laser-like on the issues of the day that really matter. And what are those issues? Prices rising, the cost of energy, the cost of fuel, uh, what's happening in Ukraine, you know, the greater uh, world that impacts all of us on a, on a daily basis is the thing that really matters. And that's what the government should be focused on, not on whether or not uh, people are going behind their backs and leaking stuff, um, which is going to, you know, make it very hard to govern. Absolutely right. Let's have a listen to what Boris Johnson actually said yesterday uh, when he issued his apology. I understand the anger that many will feel that I myself fell short when it came to observing the very rules which the government I lead had introduced to protect the public. And I accept in all sincerity that people had the right to expect better. And now I feel an even greater sense of obligation to deliver on the priorities of the British people. Boris Johnson there speaking uh, yesterday when uh, he said he's not going to resign. Uh, I don't think many people do expect him to resign. And that's the other issue as well, isn't it, um, George? As I look around uh, at the various people calling for his resignation, they've been calling for his resignation pretty much ever since he was prime minister. So, I mean, if, if they hadn't done that, may, maybe their calls this time would have a bit more resonance. But, but it's like, so, I mean, like Ian Blackford calling for Boris Johnson's resignation is a weekly occurrence at Prime Minister's Questions. Well, it's definitely not news, is it? No. Uh, if, if news is uh, something which meant to make you go, wow. Um, and it's definitely true that it is the job of the opposition, to be fair, to, co to constantly try and get the government out of office. And, and of course, this is... Uh, meat uh, on the bones uh, and it's not going to go away. And that's my point about the recurring theme of if there are more uh, fines issued against the Prime Minister, it becomes more and more of a distraction to the government. And of course, that is very, very powerful uh, for the opposition and it will continue to be their, their calling card. That said, it requires more than just saying the Prime Minister should resign for the Labour Party to get within a much closer chance of becoming the next government. The Labour Party need to be able to show that they are themselves fit for office, that they've got an exciting and attractive uh, 
bunch of proposals for leading the country in a different direction uh, and to make more of what we've got right now. And they haven't yet been able to make that case. So they need to make sure they're not drowning themselves out with demand for, for us to go uh, with actually what people want to know is what are you offering uh, as, as, a, as an alternative? But it's definitely the case that it's the opposition's job to try and get the government to resign. But, you know, you ruin your currency if that's all ever, anybody ever hears. And yeah. he's not going to go. And the, the fact is the only reason people will, will, will get him out is if Conservative members of Parliament themselves want him to go, then that's a very different yes. kettle of fish. And at the moment, I don't know whether your uh, conversations uh, with politicians uh, have, have led you to the same conclusion as me, but at the moment, there's not many um, Tory politicians or Tory MPs who want to see him go. No, there, there are a lot of people who are in the balance in the sense that they say, well, you know, let's see how this thing develops. And if it becomes too much of a problem, then maybe in the future, then we'll have to have a second view and, and maybe then he'll have to go. But now they are pretty resolute. And that's very different from three or four months ago. If you remember at Christmas, when it was very hard to see the Prime Minister surviving because his Conservative MPs were so enraged by what was happening. Now I think they've taken the view that they've priced it in, that the, the Prime Minister's uh, work in the Ukrainian situation has been pretty impressive by and large, uh, and he seems to have a new module about him. And I think that the critical thing, and it's a selfish thing for Conservative overall MPs, is the question for them is who is most likely to allow them to keep their job at the next election? And if they consider it to be Boris Johnson, then Boris Johnson is safe. Yes. Let's have a listen to Jacob Rees-Mogg, Conservative MP for North East Somerset. He spoke to Julie Hartley Brewer this morning. Uh, and this is what he had to say. He's, he's uh, being investigated over uh, six of the eight parties being investigated by the police. Um, if he has to pay a fine for any more of those parties, perhaps even all six, would you still be saying the same thing? Uh, the Prime Minister is an exceptional leader. It is rare in the history of this country that we have a truly exceptional Prime Minister. And we have got one and he is worth supporting, and he continues to be worth supporting. That is in the interest of the nation, as you even agreed earlier in this interview. And I think, therefore, one has to get a sense of proportion. What is in the national interest? Boris Johnson is in the national interest. And I'm not sure whether everyone would agree that Boris Johnson is in the national interest, uh, or indeed that he is an incredible leader, because I think there are a lot of Conservative voters who want him to be more Conservative, George, because when you talk about you know getting back to basics, if you like, uh, for want of a better phrase, fixing the economy, fixing the energy crisis, also moving away from the green agenda that so many voters didn't ask for, uh, moving properly to stop illegal immigration on the south coast, which still hasn't really happened. You know, there's a lot for him to do to sometimes um, win back some of those who voted for him in 2019. In many ways, Mike, uh, what is happening now to him will actually, I think, make him more conservative in the way that you've just described because he knows that his immediate constituency that has to keep him in power is his conservative MPs and a lot of them uh, feel that the that in in his leadership he's allowed the party to drift too much to a big state party too much public spending as you say too much concern about uh, climate change um, the the difficulty is the Prime Minister genuinely is uh, committed to the net zero uh, crusade and he genuinely is an environmentalist and of course his wife Carrie is a very strong uh, campaigner in this area and it does matter to him so we shouldn't misread what, he, what his instincts are. That said when he was the London mayor he was very very pro-business and very very uh, keen to have low taxes and to make London particularly but the UK a really attractive place to play for Britain uh, for business and so I think that that instinct will, will be brought out to the fore again and I think he does listen to his backbenchers and I think moving away from much more of a nanny, uh, nanny-ish sort of approach will be the way forward. Um, and I think that that's the sort of appeal that Conservative MPs and a lot of grassroots members, and actually a lot of people who voted uh, Conservative at the last election, the sort of common sense uh, uh, approach to, to running the country is what people want. They don't want to have to <clears throat> spend so much money dealing with the climate change issue no. when there are other priorities facing them on a day-to-day -day basis. And there has to be a way of managing that. And I think last week's energy uh, uh, mission, which the Prime Minister brought out, is, is the way forward, actually, uh, is, is to give us, in this country, much greater control uh, over the security of the supply of energy, much greater uh, power to generate our own uh, electricity, 
uh, and to control the price in a much better way. And I think that's the way forward. Well, it would be the way forward if it was workable, but a lot of people think that it isn't workable, not on the basis of a political agenda, but just on the timings alone. I mean, it takes 10 years to build, we think, a nuclear power plant. Um, it's already um, two years into this decade, so in eight years' time, I don't think we're going to have any. Um, we might have the one that's already under construction, but I think the point about the, the energy argument is, yes, you're right, we do need to be more self-reliant, and, and Boris is right to want to do that as well, but let's not forget how we got here. We got here because we became more reliant on foreign energy sources because of the green agenda. And so the green agenda has to be pushed slightly further back into the background, I think, while we fix the crisis. It's absolutely the case that the, 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 the net zero agenda has dominated a lot of political thinking over the last two or three years, uh, particularly last year when the COP26 uh, summit was held in Glasgow, and that dominated ministers' minds. And of course, it's funny, isn't it, how politics... Uh, and the atmosphere around things changes very, very quickly. You know, two months ago, everybody would have said that the NHS and the health backlog was the number one priority of this government to fix. Uh, just eight weeks on from there, suddenly defence spending is the critical priority because of what's happening in Ukraine and the up uh, surge in Russian uh, behaviour. Uh, and, and the cost of living would probably be the second uh, priority for this government. So. The, the priorities change, and I think it's quite clear already that the net zero agenda is slipping away. And you would have seen that Ben Goldsmith, uh, yesterday a prominent conservative, uh, in his own private Twitter feed, uh, seemed to side with the uh, extremists and activists uh, on the climate agenda, uh, and then was forced to apologise and, and remove the, the tweet uh, from his own Twitter feed. So, you know, there's a mix in the Conservative Party. Not everybody agrees with you. There are some Conservatives who are strong campaigners in the net zero agenda. But the Prime Minister, I think, has to listen to the cost of living crisis uh, demands of voters up and down the country. And he has to respond to that and make it clear that he's going to do what he can to make sure this is not uh, contributing to the massive inflation that's hitting. And the inflation numbers came out this morning, highest for 30 years. Yeah. And that's a real thing. You and I, sadly, are old enough, Mike, to remember we are. what inflation really means and yeah. how it can impact uh, political parties. Yeah, I mean, luckily I couldn't afford a mortgage in 1970, so I wasn't able to actually uh, experience negative equity. But I, I know anyone who doesn't know what that is would be absolutely horrified uh, if it does come through the summer. Stay where you are, George, because I want to ask you about Rishi Sunak. I want to ask you about his situation as well. And I want to go back to that question about the police. What role did they play yesterday in releasing this information about the Prime Minister? What role are they playing politically in trying to destabilise Downing Street? Because we all know Cressida Dick uh, was not exactly a fan of Boris Johnson, was she? This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Coming up, we'll be talking about the NHS because, as ever, of course, uh, there is a story about the NHS and there is one almost every day. The first story we told uh, you about was, of course, not being able to visit uh, people in hospital. We're working on that. We're trying to get that crusade working out and we're trying to get it better for you, but we'll take your calls on it coming up later on. George Pascoe Watson's here, former political editor uh, at The Sun. Uh, let's talk about Rishi Sunak, uh, George, because up until yesterday, uh, he was massively on the ropes already following his uh, sort of little tax problem, uh, his wife's non-dom status and all of that. Um, this doesn't look great for him either, because he's another one who said that he was never at any parties, um, and it turns out he was at this one. You know, that's the, the heart of this whole question, isn't it? You know, I, I absolutely can hear millions of people up and down the country saying it's an outrage, and I get that. And I guess that's what the newspapers have all been saying this morning. But I think it's also true to say... I don't think I was at a party. In the case of Rishi, uh, he turned up for a meeting with the Prime Minister at the time when a group of people gathered around the Prime Minister to wish him happy birthday. Uh, and his view would be, it would be slightly odd of me to walk out of that room. Um, and so I was there, but that's not the same as going to a party, most people might think. However, he is the Chancellor of the Exchequer, and as he's done, he's come out and said, I accept I was wrong, uh, and let's, let's move on. What is definitely the case, um, is that there was a long discussion yesterday with the Chancellor and others as to whether or not he should resign. He is actually a man of very high principle. Obviously, he's had a very difficult week over his wife's non-dom status and tax affairs. And that's very difficult for a Chancellor who up until now, Mike, let's be honest, has been, if I can put it this way, squeaky clean reputationally in the sense that nothing has ever bounced uh, 
Uh, everything's just bounced off him, mm -hmm. nothing's ever stuck to him. Uh, and he's been seen as almost a sort of fresh brand of politician, very clean cut, yeah. uh, you know, very nimble, uh, smart, intelligent, and, and has had a very good reputation. So it's very difficult for a politician to suddenly be hit not by one, but by two major, major things mm. one week after the other, when his entire political career in only the seven years that he's been in parliament has been blemish free. So these things are hard. And they, these are the scars on the back that we talk about the politicians earn uh, and learn from. Uh, and I personally think uh, it, this may be in a way a sort of making of Rishi because uh, it gives him a deeper and inner uh, toughness to go through moments like this uh, and, and um, assuming he comes through it uh, stronger then I think actually it makes him a, a, a more fundamental politician. It may well do. I mean, I was saying a couple of weeks ago that, that I was hearing uh, noises from inside Downing Street that Boris Johnson was going to humiliate Rishi Sunak um, and then he was going to fire him, all of which I would have said was working terribly well until yesterday because now that they're both in the same room at the same party with the same cake, uh, they're sort of blood brothers again, aren't they? Well, they're bonded in a situation where it's hard for the Prime Minister to get rid of Rishi um, uh, if it's for this. Um, so it can't be for this. No. I mean, I, I did talk to a number of people yesterday who said that there could well be a reshuffle in July in which the Chancellor has moved on and he wouldn't have any leg to stand on right. because the Prime Minister would say it's time to freshen up the whole government. Yeah. Um, you know, let's see. Moving a chancellor is a very, very big thing for a prime minister. Yeah. Don't forget that, because it does have an impact on how the world money markets see the stability of the economy in a country. Yeah, but isn't it uh, funny how often the ch the relationship between the prime minister and the chancellor sort of messes up what might have been quite a good government? And that's right. And you know, you know, I I was bore witness to the Brown Blair uh, relationship, which was hugely destructive to that uh, to two governments. Um, and of course, it completely skews the whole way that governments run, because the Chancellor and the Prime Minister are the two most important people, and they all have teams around them, and that's often those two which go to war against each other. Mm. Uh, Cameron and George Osborne actually were almost uniquely, in my experience, very, very close and worked very well together and never really fell out at all. And that made a huge difference to the smooth running of what was a difficult coalition mm. for Prime Minister. Yes. Finally, George, back to the police situation. Um, you know... We'll be asking the question all through the show about Cressida Dick and whether she had any hand in this, but it seems to have been remarkably badly done, this whole investigation. Uh, you know, they spent weeks and weeks and weeks doing something which we would have thought you could do in an afternoon, simply, you know, issuing penalty notices to people if they said they were doing something they shouldn't have done. I mean, why on earth are they still investigating? And and I don't, you know, have any greater insight than you into, into the workings of the Metropolitan Police, but it does seem that they are being very laborious over this situation. Now, whether they do that or or not because they need to be seen to be sort of whiter than white and making sure that every dot and comma are covered, I don't know. It seems to me likely at the very least that they want to make sure that there's never any comeback on them. Uh, and I can understand that from an institutional perspective. But the reality is we don't live in a police state. We live in a, a parliamentary democracy uh, and they've got a job to do, and they need to do it quickly, swiftly, and, and efficiently. Uh, it's odd that they started this whole process by saying there was nothing to investigate. Uh, and it shows that there is a concern uh, at the top uh, of the police service as to uh, how efficiently and how well it's being run. I know that from a rank-and-file perspective, people are just keen to get on and, and do the job and do a good job. Yeah, absolutely right. George, good to see you. Thank you very much indeed. George Pascoe Watson, former political editor at The Sun, uh, giving us his view, uh, which is not that dissimilar to mine at the end of the day. But let's talk about the police and their role in all of this. And if they did leak it yesterday, and if they are involved uh, in some kind of political investigation, then we should know, shouldn't we? 0344 499 1000. We'll take your calls. Uh, we'll be taking them all the way through the show this morning. Let's get some news headlines. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Listen on DAB Plus. Watch it live on your smart TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Talk Radio.
Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Those of you who want to call, we will be talking to all of you. Don't worry. All the way through the show, we will be taking your calls, of course, because this is what we do. Uh, it's all about you. It's all about the people. It's all about the power of the people. 0344 499 1000. From tonight, don't forget, uh, you won't be able to watch us live as we build up to the launch of Talk TV. Some very exciting things happening uh, here at Talk Towers. In the meantime, though, of course, you can still listen, as usual, on DAB Plus and on your Talk Radio app and all the other mobile devices that you use but the home of common sense will be back on your tv screens on sky channel 526 virgin media channel 627 freeview channel 237 and free sat channel 217 plus all your connected tv apps from monday the 25th of april so it's only going to be uh, out of the way for a little while uh, while we do some very much needed upgrading to all sorts of things. So it's going to be very, very exciting. Now, the big story that we want to talk about coming up now, though, uh, is the NHS. We've been talking about the NHS for the last two or three weeks. We've been trying to find out what's wrong with it, exactly which bit of it isn't really working properly. And we found most of it isn't really working properly. We've now got a situation where many GPs are only working three days a week. We've got a situation where many GPs are being told to work later in order to stop the A&E departments from being overwhelmed. We've also got a third of GPs telling a survey that they plan to quit in the next five years. So I think you can genuinely say, as far as GPs are concerned, it's a bit of a crisis. Let's talk now to Dr Charles Levinson, uh, the Doctor and Chief Executive of Dr Call. Charles, very good morning to you. Good morning. Good We've morning. been talking for the last two or three weeks, hearing some dreadful stories from people um, who have had experience firsthand at uh, the uh, various departments of the NHS, from GPs to, um, you know, clinics to hospitals to A&E departments. You know, there's an awful lot wrong with it. Um, the GPs in particular seem to be very, very, um, in, very much in short supply, don't they? Yeah, GPs are in short supply. And... Um, uh, one has to remember at the moment we are going through an incredibly difficult time because uh, um, we're still sort of recovering from the pandemic and there's a huge backlog of patients who were who, who uh, are, as a result of all the lockdowns we had and so the whole system is under more pressure than usual mm. so I think if we just give it a couple of months and wait until weather improves people we get less patients with um seasonal illnesses we can covid and other and we can i think i think people may be feeling a bit more positive i think they may be but it's still difficult for a lot of people to get appointments with their gp uh, we've had people even getting in touch with us as, as recently as yesterday saying they tried to get an appointment with a dentist and they said yeah we can see you in september you know people who have got actual you know problems right now one guy rang yesterday to say he'd been told he might have internal bleeding um you better get a doctor's appointment to check it out and two i think it's two months later uh, he still hasn't managed to get one so i mean there's an awful lot of problems out there that don't nobody seems to be solving yes and so um working in the private sector in uh, uh running doctor call as i do the you know we when we have a shortage of gps which we have too the whole um, everyone does is we can't just throw our hands in the air and say um, it's a disaster. We have to we have to fix it. And what we would what we do is uh, try and give work which um, other people can do to other people. And GPs at the moment are still doing a lot of work, which is quite simple and um, and quite dull. And I actually think their morale would improve because one of the problems is GP morale, which is. Uh, uh, um, leading them to not want to work full time and leading them to want to retire early. So if we can delegate work to people who are quicker to train, um, then then that will help. And is the shortage of GPs in the NHS, particularly those who are only working three days a week, because they're doing work privately elsewhere for the rest of the week? No, it does. It isn't. And the the um, uh, whether a doctor is working privately or in the NHS, they're still seeing patients. So they're still the the overall group of patients is still being worked through um, either way. So it doesn't really make a difference. Um, I think what can make a difference is to um, is to give more prescribing rights to uh, pharmacists and nurses. Uh, because there are quite often things that they could treat where that wouldn't uh, need a GP. Um, and a lot of what GPs do is purely algorithmic. So where a patient uh, has a particular set of symptoms, they're going to need a um, particular antibiotic, they're going to need a referral, and it is increasingly, the, uh, um, I think, our view that, that that should be opened up to patients to be able to manage 
uh, uh, that themselves when it when it's something simple. Yes, that's true. And I think there's an awful lot of people who are sort of, you know, man- managing to deal with the new ways of, of working in the NHS. You know, many people say to me, I'm quite happy with a, a telephone consultation or I'm quite happy with a video consultation, but not everybody is. Um, and I think for an awful lot of the NHS, and we discovered this in terms of visiting uh, hours at hospitals and all of that, they've still got this kind of COVID hangover. I mean, we've been hearing, have we not, uh, in the past week that, you know, the A&E departments are going to be overwhelmed at Easter. There's going to be loads of COVID patients going in. We need to put masks back on, according to the NHS Confederation. You know, it's almost like they're living in some kind of time warp. Yeah, well, I think the most important message is that we can't afford uh, more social restrictions like the lockdowns we've had, because that it's the backlog of that that has put us in the position we're in now. Mm. So um, we we need to uh, uh, get through this and um and I'm sure we will. I think the, the, um, there's obviously a knock-on effect when the GPs are, we're short of GPs, more people go to A&E, but um, we are, you know, the, we're in the very last of the winter and I think things will get easier over the next few months. Yes, well, let's hope so. And what about uh, where you're going to train these other people up from um, who you say don't need to be maybe trained for as long? Are you suggesting that we could have more sort of qualified nurses, perhaps? Or what, what, what is that? Yeah, mean? I mean, one of the problems with uh, training doctors is that it's a long training and it is longer than the political cycle. So, mm. um, so, so it is, it just doesn't happen. And, um, and uh, so the, uh, um, it is, much quicker to train a nurse or a pharmacist it's half the time and that's um and and i think we could do with more nurses and pharmacists um instead yes well i think an awful lot of pharmacists could indeed do the job of what a gp used to do um but again that's problematic because whenever i walk into my local uh, chemist the pharmacy queue is a mile long there's about five, there's always, yeah, I mean, I say a mile long, there's usually five or six people waiting there and they're obviously going to be waiting there for quite a long time to see a pharmacist. So, you know, there's a sort of log jam going on here. Yeah, there is a log jam. I think in the end, what's going to solve it is going to be um, computers, I'm afraid. It's going to be algorithms. It's going to be people being mm. able to treat themselves. And um, an awful lot of what GPs do is algorithmic. So very often um, someone has... Uh, a cough and there are about five questions the GP has to ask and then he writes a prescription and those five questions could be asked by a computer and so and the GPs would then be left seeing the patients who uh, um, who didn't give all the answer the straightforward answers and and that would be much actually more stimulating for the GPs because they wouldn't be uh, uh, pushing paper they'd be treating people who, yeah. who needed their help and that's another qu- uh, a, a query i get quite often from from people in the nhs who say we don't understand why it's quite so backward technologically you might remember a few years ago they tried to introduce a new it system with four billion pounds yeah. of our money uh, which ended up on the scrap heap you know they seem incapable of making technology work for them and they're still using fax machines they're still using paper for things they're still filing everything in paper cabinets you know it seems like it's something out of the last century yeah, that, that all needs moving on. One do, you do have to remember that there is very valuable to uh, um, personal contact with is, is very valuable and contact with a doctor can be really important. So it's really essential that people can see their doctor when when they want to. Um, but the way that that can be that that can uh, be managed, that be made to happen is by um, enabling people to get all these other things where they don't really want to see a doctor or need to see a doctor. Uh, uh, done without, right. without without, and I think an awful, an awful lot of people think that the amount of money that we pour into it uh, is very much wasted in all sorts of different areas. And if we are going to streamline it, we are going to modernise it. Maybe well, we could give them a bit less money and spend more money uh, better in other places. Well, I think it is generally generally believed that the by most people that the that the problem is not a shortage of money. So. Uh, um, I think, and I think that's an easy fix for the government to throw money at mm. things because then they could be seen to do something, and that, and that, and that's just. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync... 
things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's a decision. There's no, there's, they don't have to do anything clever to do that. But, but you're absolutely right. We need to, we need to sort, sort it out in a much deeper way. Yes, absolutely right. Thank you very much indeed. Dr. Charles Levinson, Doctor and Chief Executive of Dr. Call. Uh, if you have been trying to get a GP, if you've been got any experiences with the NHS, we want to hear them because we are building uh, a rather large, um, uh, shall we say, file, which we will hand to Sajid Javid at some point and say, look, here's where the problems are. Why don't you go fix them and stop spending all our money and throwing it down the drain, for heaven's sake. How about this? Uh, Cressida Dick didn't want an investigation into Partygate, uh, but maybe she was prodded into it by number 10 to delay it as long as possible. Well, Chris, you may well be right about that. But then, despite that, she didn't save her job and she was fired. So sometimes when you get fired, you feel a bit rancid about the people that were responsible for getting rid of you. And you hit back. And that's possible, isn't it? Is it possible that Cressida Dick used yesterday as a bit of revenge against Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister of this country. We'll take your calls. 0344 499 1000. It's Talk Radio. Independent Talk. Talk. News Talk. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. With the self-appointed revolutionary of reason, Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio, the world headquarters, of course, of Common Sense on a day when it has never been uh, more required because there's an awful lot of people out there, uh, not here on Talk Radio, but on certain other broadcasting networks, you might say, uh, who are calling for all sorts of things to happen, for people to be fired, for people to be uh, forced to resign. Uh, Boris Johnson has been told to resign probably more times than I've had hot dinners, and I've had a lot of hot dinners. The hysteria around the Boris Johnson birthday party has reached full fever pitch this morning, sometimes from both sides. There are people who are telling me it wasn't a party. They just had a few uh, glasses of something together. They had some cake. It was nine minutes long. That's not the point, right? Forget about the party. Forget about what is actually uh, being said by some commentators and those who want to see Boris Johnson resigning because they have a political agenda. They always have. They call for him to resign every single week, right? There can be absolutely no doubt that certainly millions of people in Britain were not happy. Many were sickened at the antics of those in Downing Street uh, who thought the rules didn't apply to them. Um, And yesterday, Boris himself said people have the right to expect better and he's absolutely right about that but the voters will judge what happens next at the local elections which are coming up of course um, in about a month's time Uh, the front page of the daily mail this morning says don't they know there is a war on Uh, but there is a war going on there's a war going on the high street in the shops where prices are on the rise at the banks where mortgage rates are on the rise as well and on the petrol forecourts of course where some people are now queuing up to pay more and more money uh, for less and less petrol and diesel point is this Boris Johnson isn't going anywhere and neither should he but as we've heard from our last two callers Belinda uh, and of course uh, our friend in Putney uh, the bottom line is the immigration problems of this country need fixing the energy crisis needs fixing the economy needs fixing that's what we need Belinda and Jenny utter gems says GB common sense at the independent republic yes that's what it is We need to get that right. We need to fix the problems that this country is facing uh, and we need Boris Johnson to do it now. It's as simple as that. Coming up in this hour, Jamie Jenkins, former head of health analysis at the Office for National Statistics, is going to run the line uh, over some numbers because, of course, we're being told Easter weekend's coming, Good Friday, Easter Monday, the NHS is going to be overwhelmed. Well, I can tell you this for a start. Most people in the NHS won't be working because they don't work weekends. They don't work bank holidays. must be joking. Don't get sick on a bank weekend or a bank holiday there's a pretty good chance you might not make it out the other side. 0344 499 1000. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Time to say very good morning to Mr Jamie Jenkins. Jamie, how are you, man? Yeah, good morning, Mike. Uh, privileged to be on your kind of your last show before your new set. Well, listen, it's 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 not it's not so much the last show. It's just that we're having this massive revamp. We're going to come back even bigger and better than before. Uh, and in the meantime... 
Uh, as you know, sometimes technology needs to be sorted. So that's what we're going to be doing. You can hear us all uh, the way through on DAB and on all the usual apps that you listen to us on anyway. But, you know, here we are again, Jamie, looking into a big bank holiday weekend. And everyone's saying in the medical business, oh, it's going to be bad in the NHS. Why? Yeah, well, let's run through the numbers again, Mike. Uh, so at the moment, the, the total number of deaths registered in England and Wales in the most recent week uh, was below what we saw in 2015, 2016, 2017 and 2018. <laughs> uh, the, the number of patients in hospital, well, they have been rising with COVID, but you need to remember that 60% of patients in hospital uh, with COVID and not primarily in for COVID. But ironically, since the, um, the last few days, since the NHS Confederation of Put all this doom and gloom out the the admissions have started coming down as if the virus has said okay I'll, I'll go away so i think let's take a step back the nhs confederation have been calling for you know further masks and further restrictions potentially on mixing up but the the chief exec there's a former advisor to tony blair you know you do two and two and work out why well, he's coming listen, out with that. i'm calling for the nhs confederation to be shut down i'd like my money back because they don't do anything as far as i can see apart from sla uh, slagging off the government and warning about things that they know nothing about this is a guy who used to run the royal society for the arts right he's a former apparatchik of players as you say knows absolutely nothing square root of uh, about medicine yeah and i think mike a lot of people like the confederation are jumping on covid now to try and to try and kind of get more and more money for the NHS, which is all we ever talk about is in more and more money for the NHS. It's quite clear with the data, Mike, that with the deaths data, this virus isn't as bad as what it was in the past. And they call in for restrictions on mixing as well, Mike. Easter, worried about Easter. Well, one of the things that we've got over the Easter holidays is that the schools are closed. Yeah. And when yeah. the schools are closed, that's a lot of in-house mixing stopped in a way because the schools are closed. So, you know, I think, Mike, there's a lot of people still out there. I, I don't know why. I don't know if it's because they've got so used to putting out that fear, getting a lot of followers on Twitter because they're putting out facts and figures that scare the public and they just can't let go, Mike. I mm. think, you know, you've been talking a lot of common sense. We've talked about it the last few years. Looking at the facts and figures at the moment, COVID is not what it was in the past. And people are saying we haven't got a plan to live with COVID or we have got a plan to live with COVID. It's currently what we're doing. We are right. living with COVID. But let's talk a bit about these numbers, you know, because in Scotland, we're told they've got the highest numbers of infections uh, since the time immemorial, right? We're told there's more numbers going up, but surely the truth is different to that. It might well be that people are going into hospital and then being tested for COVID and, and get it, either getting it there or being found to have it, but, not, but that's not the reason they've gone in. Yeah, so the so overall, if you look at the ONS, there's a, a random survey of households which identify. They do some tests, so you can kind of identify roughly how many people in the population have got COVID. And they're at record levels across all four nations. They look like they've peaked, Mike. But I think the fact that we've got record number of infections in the country, but fewer deaths than what we've seen in the past, kind of shows that okay, this is a pro positive in a way. Mm. That we've got all these infections. I know in the last month or so, Mike, more people with COVID than at any point but none of them have fallen really yes. ill it might be the demographic that my mum's got it at the moment and she's not you know seriously ill with covid right. and she's kind of coming up to a no listen I, i'm the same people that i know have got it as well it's a bit like when omicron came around at christmas time and lots of people that, that, that i've worked with lots of people that i knew suddenly had it but none of them were sick yeah and and well on, on the hospital figures mike so we have seen again those kind of newspapers who like to put that fear into the public saying record numbers of patients in hospital. And we have seen in some parts of the country record number of patients in hospital with COVID. But since Omicron come on board, Mike, the number of patients in hospital primarily because of COVID has completely changed. Because remember now, we do test people as they go into hospital. And if more and more people in society have got it, imagine a world, Mike, where everybody tomorrow had COVID in, in the population. Well, everybody who goes into hospital would have COVID regardless of what they're going in for. So we're about 60% of patients in England of going into hospital uh, with COVID, but not primarily because of it. And if you take the numbers out, looking at critical care, Mike, which is the real worry, obviously, in terms of the overwhelming yeah. in the NHS. Since um, Omicron hit the country, the, the number of patients in critical care, primarily for COVID, has not moved. In fact, it's come down. So, we, you know, these are the numbers that don't get talked about. I right. put a graphic right. up yesterday on my Twitter feed, Mike, um, showing the, a breakdown of all the hospital beds. You know, there are about 6.5% of beds have a patient with COVID in them, primarily for COVID. And six and a half percent of beds are empty. Mm. So, you know, when you start looking at the facts and figures underlying the headlines that are coming out, the NHS 
if they say they're in a crisis, this isn't a, just a COVID-led crisis, Mike. This is basically the NHS is always in yeah. crisis and people like to moan about it. Well, the NHS, as I found out over the last three weeks, is not just in a crisis. It is in long-term, I would say, decline. It's much worse now than it ever was in my memory. And I would say that almost every part of it is not functioning the way that it should. You know, we started off talking about visiting hours to hospitals, we found out that up and down the country, and I don't know what it's like in Wales, but I suspect it's the same, um, more and more hospitals are still operating as if COVID is a deadly virus that you have to treat uh, like Ebola. You know, only one visitor per hour, um, for one hour rather, per day, you know, into a hospital. It has to be a named person, can't have two people, can't have three people, can't stay for two hours. I mean, it's madness. All the way through to GPs uh, who still aren't seeing people. Uh, dentists who won't give you an appointment for three months. I mean, it's an absolute shambles. And you know one thing for sure is uh, Easter holiday time, there won't be anybody working. Half of the half of the people in the hospital will be off. No, you're right, Martin. You don't, obviously, you don't want to be falling ill over the Easter holidays. That's, that's, that's bang on. And I've, I've viewed the stories on your show about, you know, people who um, can't go and visit their loved one or only one person could go, so somebody can't go the next day. This isn't living with COVID, Mike. And, no. and remember, the, when you see the record numbers of admissions that you see on the figures that people talk about, about one in four of those, and it stayed pretty consistent for months now, Mike, but one in four of the patients are actually, they're going in as an admission on the figures, but they're already in hospital, but then they caught COVID in hospital. So they then get added as a COVID admission, even though they were already in hospital. Yeah. So, you know, and that's about one in four and that's not stopped. So over the course of the pandemic, I think things have really identified that, the NHS, you know, what is the National Health Service there to do is to treat sick patients, but they seem to get worried that people might get sick. And that's what the NHS is there for, yeah. Meg. Is to, well, is that to was the other story people. we had, I think, earlier this week, which was from the uh, the head of emergency services in the NHS, uh, a woman doctor who said that, you know, the ambulance service is now so appalling that it's actually letting people down, not doing the job that it's meant to do, which is to protect the people most in need of help because you try calling for an ambulance now anywhere in Britain and you're likely to be told either there isn't one or it's going to take about five hours. No, I heard a, a tragic story, Mike. Thankfully, the, the patient survived on this. But um, an old um, guy in North Wales, uh, he had to wait 12 hours for an ambulance having fallen, fallen over and broken his hip. Um, but all you, you kind of the ministers in Wales is about the free trees they're giving out to yeah. people for to tackle climate change, you know, free getting trees. the fire free trees mike in wales if you want to pop over to wales and you can get you can have my free tree i'm not getting one i got plenty of trees well, could, do you have a choice of which kind of tree you get <laughs> well if i had a tree mike i'd probably plant it um, somewhere where you know I, where I, well, the sun don't probably, shine yeah exactly i shouldn't really talk about where we're going to plant it but yeah <laughs> well the, i mean the, the but prior... hang on a second this, I've, this is fascinating so what they're giving you what a, a seedling giving you an actual tree what are they giving you Oh, it's like an actual tree. So you can go along. It's to tackle climate change in Wales, Mike. You know what the Welsh government are like. You get everybody in Wales is allowed to have a free tree. They're starting to roll that out across the country. You know, if I wanted one, I can go and get one. And it's just apps. And down the it's road. paying for all these trees, though. It's a taxpayer, presumably. Well, actually, what's where the money's coming from? If you remember, we were in the EU and we got all this money given to farmers to kind of the common agricultural policy as well. Oh, yeah. well. And and in England and Wales, what they're trying to do now is rather than pay farmers to farm, they want to pay farmers to look after the environment. Now, that's kind of what they're trying to do. So they, they so some of this money is about using the money that would go to farmers in the past and, and the budgets of that to deliver better environmental outcomes. And it's all about kind of the climate change. Nuts. And, and the thing is, Mike, I was crunching some numbers on this last week, actually, just slightly off the COVID topic, that in 1965, China emitted... 5% of the CO2 emissions across the world. So it's 5% in 1965. 2020, it risen to 30%. And it's basically because they're using all the coal. And in 2020, Mike, China used more coal in 2020 than the UK has used since 1978. <laughs> and, and and they're continuing to use more Would you more mind more passing coal. that information on to Extinction Rebellion, please, so they can move out of central London and head off to Shanghai, where they'll find themselves locked inside uh, a building without any food? Well, indeed, I put a tweet out about this yesterday, Mike, saying, why don't we all have a whip round and send them on a long, slow boat to China, and then they could all go over there, and if they're not locked down, they can go and glue themselves to all these coal stations mm. in China. Exactly. And, and the thing, on, and the reason that's important, though, Mike, is that part of the reason for that is that the Chinese economy has exploded over the last 30 years. Part of it is because, obviously, the Western world has outsourced loads and loads of manufacturing to China. And but the thing, the net zero targets that the UK have got, if literally, Mike, if the if the UK tomorrow stopped all carbon emissions, got to net zero, 
you look at the figure then on the world chart, you wouldn't even notice it, Mike. It would make absolutely little difference whatsoever. No. And also this tree planting rubbish. I mean, this is what Chris Martin did famously, the Coldplay guy, uh, when he flew around the world on tour. Well, you can imagine, you know, the amount of electricity used to power an actual live rock concert, uh, you know, 15 times a week or whatever it was. Um, he plants a lot of trees in Sri Lanka, right? Uh, unfortunately for him, uh, half of them died because it was too dry and there wasn't enough rain. And the others went on fire. Uh, because it's so hot so <laughs> it's really not a very good thing for the environment in the end anyway oh uh, no it's, it's just all this kind of virtual signaling mike i think that the cost of living crisis you, you, you've been talking this morning on the show about boris and people saying you know the moment people want boris to resign the poll that came out on that mike i think it was like 57 percent. that was another yougov poll wasn't it yeah another yougov poll but remember you know this is a random survey of people well i would imagine if before the pandemic 57 percent of people would want the prime minister to resign because they don't support the conservative party mm. so i don't think it's telling us a lot the thing that's really kind of wound me up a bit more on this uh, party gate scandal mike is that they're all saying boris resigned for this but you know the vaccine passes that were imposed school closures all those care workers that were sacked and that's in part mike why the nhs is in a bit of a crisis because you've got loads of patients in hospital cannot be discharged because we haven't got enough care in the community yeah Stacked all those care workers, all the campaign. If you all people seem to be fine with that, but Boris has a bit of cake in Downing right. Street, they want him to resign. It's just have they got short memories, Mike? Well, I, I think it tells you that they're politically motivated. It's not about whether he's a good prime minister or not, or whether he's done the things that he said he would do. Uh, it's about something they think proves him to be some kind of a liar, uh, and that's why they want to go for him. But it's all. Um, to me, it's all just, you know, wind and, and nonsense at the end of the day. Uh, because what if you were really going to be saying, sort the world out, sort the country out, uh, do the things we elected you to do. And all of those things I've mentioned, and fix the energy crisis, make energy cheaper, stop the immigrants coming here illegally and make sure that, um, you know, people can actually uh, afford to heat their homes without this kind of madness drive for net zero. Well, remember that term levelling up, Mike? I don't think we understood what it means, but that seems to have uh, kind of vanished. And you're right. This, I think a lot of this is politically motivated. Mark Drakeford put a tweet out yesterday with him talking, saying that those who make the laws shouldn't break the laws and he should stand down. Another thing recently in Wales, Mike, um, the health minister um, was banned from driving for speeding, obviously, several times, totting up enough points, so banned from driving. So this is the health minister. And in Wales, Mike, I don't know, I've... I don't see so much of it in England because I was driving um, up to up to Chester uh, about six to seven months ago, and there's a road that goes from Wales um, from Wrexham up to Chester, which mm. is kind of a, a nice dual carriageway. When you're in the Welsh, oh, I know. Side, is that the A50? I think A483. I think it might oh, okay. be. Mike, but it's, it's a road basically. So when you're in the Welsh part, there's a 50 mile an hour speed limit because they want to reduce the emissions to save the planet. Right. When you get to the England part, you can go back up to 70 miles an hour again. So so the health minister's reducing all these speed limits across the country to save the planet, stop emissions as well, so people got healthier air to breathe in. And then she's breaking the law. No mention of Mark Drakeford on her resigning because she's broken the law there, you know. So double standards as well, Mike. Absolutely right. And as far as the actual um, COVID figures go, just to, to, to sort of, you know, to cap that off, um, the, in, the increase in COVID figures... Uh, that people say we are seeing, which may potentially overwhelm the NHS. They're not really giving any context to that properly, are they? No, and that's the context that's missing. So, yeah, incre record numbers of infections across the country, but the total number of people dying is, to say, lower than what we saw in many of the years pre-pandemic. The, the total number of patients in critical care, when you look specifically at the figures, Mike, which are those in hospital, primarily because COVID making them seriously ill, that has come down since the Omicron variant. And the number of patients in hospital uh, because of kind of with COVID, but not because of it since Omicron. So it has been going up and up and up. But that's the context that seems to be lacking from a lot of these newspaper reports or journalists who are mm. trying to scare the public again on all of this. Yeah, exactly right. Well, there is unfortunately still this rump of people who seem to think that wearing masks is a good idea. I heard somebody the other day talking uh, on, a, on a, another radio station saying, you know, I think it's time we brought masks back. It's not such a big deal. What's the big deal about wearing a mask? It'll keep everybody safer. And you go, well, one, it won't keep everybody safer. Two, it doesn't work. Just look at Scotland. Three, actually, people don't want to wear them. You know, there's hardly anybody wearing masks around these parts anymore. I don't know what it's like where you are. Uh, people don't like it. And as it gets hotter, they'll like it even less. 
No, indeed. I'm, I'm Mike, up until the most recent weeks, Scotland had higher infection rates than England and Wales. And yeah. England and Wales had got rid of them. Scotland had kept them and in some in some settings. I'll tell you an interesting thing with these lockdowns, Mike. Is Shanghai with what they've done is they've extended the lockdowns. And these are proper, you know, re- really stringent lockdowns where you get arrested. Yeah, people haven't got any food. Yeah, and, and the reason they've extended the lockdown, Mike, is because the lockdown hasn't worked. Mm. Stop infections going up. So it's like, why are you extending something that's not working? Because it hasn't solved the problem. Right. China are just in cloud cuckoo land. Well, you clearly Mike. can't operate uh, as a normal human being going out and about, going to work, going to the shops, meeting people without the risk of getting COVID because COVID is out there. Simple as that. Just deal with it. Indeed, and that's part of the living with COVID thing, Mike. You know, people have... I've, my child's had COVID twice, but the, both times he was off school only because he couldn't go to school, Mike, but he was playing football in the garden. Yeah. And as soon as he found out he had it, he would jump in for joy with this and stuff. And and that's why living with COVID, people are going to catch COVID. Yeah. The fact is that sure. for the vast, vast majority of people now, as we just discussed, it's, it's a small minor illness yeah. for them yeah. now. Not what it was two years ago, which is thankfully you know where it's moved on. And new variants will come on. People are already scaring us about a new deadly variant will probably happen at some point. No evidence for that. All it is is this campaign of fear yeah. that keeps and guess what? The and fruit. the thing that really disturbs me is that the people mostly running the campaign of fear are all working in the NHS. Indeed, Mike. It's either working in the NHS or kind of labour activists. That's what I t- tend to find on Twitter, that they are basically people you know, who really want restrictions. They want to control people's lives yeah. and just using whatever mechanism possible to do that. Thankfully, I think one of the positives of Partygate, Mike, is it kind of weakened Boris's power within the Conservative yeah. Party. So the backbenchers kind of, rather than get all those letters in to get rid of him, it kind of meant that he had to get rid of things like vaccine passes. Yeah. He had to bring forward the removal of all the restrictions. And so one of the positives of Partygate for the public as a whole is, it's kind of opened yeah. the eyes to Boris to say, I need to roll back on some of these restrictions. No, it's amazing how safe it got to travel when that story came out, wasn't it? What a remarkable. <laughs> well, but there we are. Jamie, good to see you. Thank you very much indeed. We'll talk again soon. Jamie Jenkins, former head of health analysis at the ONS. It is right, isn't it, uh, that suddenly COVID just went away in a puff of smoke as if it had never been here. And now there are still people telling you, oh, but, you know, the A&E will get overwhelmed. The hospitals will get overwhelmed. Well, I'll tell you what. The problem with hospitals at the weekends is that not very many people work in them. That's the truth. Uh, Dave says this. The real issue is when they get a right royal drubbing in the local elections, they will just blame this one issue, not the cost of living, not immigration, not the green tyranny, not fuel prices. So it gives him a get out to bury his head in the sand yet again. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, that will be an interesting scenario. It'll be an interesting discussion, one which we will have, I'm sure, going forward. Um, Because if indeed Boris Johnson is not the saviour at the uh, ballot box that everybody in the Tory party thinks he is, and it turns out that actually the Tories do get a drumming, then maybe there'll be a different conversation. Because people say to me, well, you've been saying for ages that he should go. And I did say that last year. And I did say that at the early part of this year. And I still think if there were reasons why you didn't want him, there would be plenty of political reasons and political arguments to make around policy and around issues like energy, like the green agenda and like immigration. But not this. That's my point. Not this. Because this is not an important matter and it is not a resigning matter at the end of the day. Simple. Andrew's in Brailford. Bradford. We'll talk to him next. Listen on your smart speaker. Watch it live on your smart TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We're going to go back to Andrew in a moment to hear the end of his story. From tonight, though, uh, you need to know this. You won't be able to watch us live as we build up to the launch of Talk TV. In the meantime, of course, you can listen as usual on DAB Plus and on your Talk Radio app. But the home of common sense will be back on your TV screens in a huge way on Sky, Channel 526, Virgin Media, Channel 627, Freeview, Channel 237 and Freesat channel 217 plus all your connected tv apps from monday the 25th of april it's going to be quite a day uh, do look forward to it andrew uh, sorry to keep you waiting there i just wanted to hear the end of your story so tell us um what happened next yeah thank you thank you mike yeah so uh, i forgot where i was now you would basically uh, said that you'd got her home and you'd managed to get quite a lot of things organized through the council so so the council yeah. had been quite good but not so much the hospital yeah, um, so she's had all this equipment delivered, which my dad made a, a donation. It, it's a charitable thing um, right. where they they sell off, um, you know, equipment. 
Um, so he made a donation. He got a wheelchair. He got a commode. He got a Zimmer frame. He's managed to arrange a chairlift, uh, stairlift to be fitted. Mm. Um, now then, she got let out on the. I think it was Mother's Day. So right. obviously the the family went down to see her. Yeah. Um, we were all absolutely shocked. Um, she was a. She, she she didn't look anything like she went when she went into hospital. Uh, my father told us he'd weighed her and she weighed seven stone. Goodness me. Now, the, now then, I don't know how much she weighed before she went into hospital, but she didn't weigh seven stone. Right. Um, so she's had a couple of weeks at home now. On Monday, she got a phone call from the GP, uh, a local GP, mm. uh, wanting to discuss, uh, to make an, an appointment for her to discuss how things are going and that lot. Um, my father answered the phone. Uh, the doctor says, I'm the GP, blah, blah, blah. Um, we need to make an appointment. And my dad said, well, she's sat next to me here. Would you like a word with her? Right. Uh, oh, no, we can't. Um, I'll make an appointment. Uh, the appointment is for a telephone interview on the 18th of May. The 18th uh, of May, like next month? Next month, yes. Blimey. Yes, five weeks away. And my dad said, well, she's sat here now. You can talk to her. She, you know, she's only going to tell you five minutes' worth of what's wrong with her. Oh, no, we can't. Uh, it needs to be through an appointment. The 18th of May is the earliest appointment we've got. That's ridiculous, isn't it? So that's what she's now waiting for? She's now waiting. Probably by the 18th of May. I don't want to sound awful, but um, she looks like death warmed up now, right. uh, Mike. And, yeah. um, oh, it's awful. You know. Well, listen, Andrew, I mean, all I can suggest is you write to... Yeah, I say this a lot to people, and I know sometimes it doesn't work, but it's worth writing to your MP to see if you can speed that up and just explain that this is a life or death situation for you. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's awful to actually see her. A she, well, she wasn't healthy because she ended up in hospital, but she had all the faculties and everything. Right. And then, she, and then she comes out of hospital, a shadow of a former a shadow self. of a former self. That is the problem, isn't it? Terrible, Andrew. Listen, so, thank you so much for telling us the story. I appreciate um, it takes a while to sometimes get the, all the facts out, but this is what happens to an awful lot of people. They go into hospital, uh, they get COVID, they then become less well than when, before they went in. And so instead of treating people better and making people better, they're actually making them worse. I mean, that's another terrible failing of the NHS, isn't it? 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number. Coming up, uh, let's talk about uh, statues, because Mark Glendening is here, Head of Cultural Affairs at the IEA, Institute of Economic Affairs. Uh, you might remember the Colston statue, the Colston Four, uh, the people who um, used human rights uh, as a defence so that they couldn't be found guilty uh, of any kind of vandalism or any kind of act that could be uh, construed uh, as a crime. Um, and now the appeal court is going to be presented with an argument which says that actually could end up being a vandal's charter because anybody could go around saying, I'm offended by this building, so I'm going to smash all the windows in it. Mark, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much for joining us. I mean, I think many of us were completely appalled and shocked at the way the courts dealt with the Colston Four, uh, because it was bad enough to watch them uh, tearing the statue down, dumping it in the in the harbour in Bristol as the police watched and didn't do anything. But for them not to then sort of be punished for it was even more ridiculous. Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. And it violated the democratic rights of the people of Bristol who've never been consulted about whether they wanted um, this statue removed or not, that decision should be taken in a liberal democracy by elected representatives. Bristol Council should have made the final decision about that. So what you've got now is the sort of latter-day equivalent of stormtroopers in, you know, 1930s Berlin and Mm. Vienna going around, smashing things up they don't like, blocking oil refineries, stopping the distribution of national newspapers, which Extinction Rebellion um, have have done. And uh, as you say, this is a, a vandal's charter. It really is. And Extinction Rebellion, even as we speak, are plotting once again today to bring London to a standstill somewhere, don't know where, they're meeting yeah. in Hyde Park and the police again walk around don't seem to bother arresting anybody you know their excuse for not arresting them is we don't want to cause a public order problem well there's already a public order problem because they're sitting down in the road Yeah and they're stopping people getting to work ambulances, getting to hospitals uh, you name it and you know are we going to be this is completely asymmetrical because imagine a group of conservatives decided unilaterally they were going to go and attack or remove the statue of Karl Marx. Mm. You know, would that be acceptable? Of course not. That's not for individuals to make these unilateral decisions about other people's 
property. Yeah. Um, you know, are royalists going to have the right to remove the statue of Oliver Cromwell from outside of Parliament? Can Millwall <laughs> fans go to the West Ham Stadium and remove the statue of Sir Bobby Moore? Of course no. not. No. I mean, the whole point of Western democracy and, and the life uh, that we all want to see uh, our, uh, us and our, and our friends live is tolerance, isn't it? I mean, tolerance seems to have gone out the window uh, with these lefties. Yeah. Um, I mean, these people are, in my opinion, a proto-fascistic movement. Mm. When you get groups of people who give themselves unilaterally the right to attack people, to stop the distribution of... <laughs> to purchase, uh, then, you know, we're in a very, very dangerous um, situation. And, and that, is what is, um, that is what is happening. Yes, that is what is happening. So what can the appeal court judges do? Can they reverse the decision that was made by the lower court? Or can they just somehow ensure that it doesn't happen again? What they can do is to not put to jurors what are called... Um, routes to verdict questions. In this case, the jury was given the option by the judge of um, determining for themselves as to whether their conviction under the Criminal Damage Act uh, would result in a disproportionate violation of their human rights. Now, ultimately, that should not be for jurors to determine. It's for Parliament what acts of parliament they want to pass. And secondly, if people want to challenge that, if they believe it's a violation of the Human Rights Act, that is a matter for judicial uh, review uh, and something that should be determined ultimately by the, the Supreme Court. But it also brings into question, Mike, the whole question as to whether we should have the Human Rights Act, because the Human Rights Act is so broadly drafted, so vaguely drafted and interpreted mm. that it can mean almost anything. Yeah. And it can actually give people the license to violate the human rights of other people. Yeah, and that is the problem. But at least we appear to be making a step in the right direction, just for a change. Mark Glendenny, thank you very much indeed. He's Head of Cultural Affairs at the IEA. Um, absolutely ludicrous, wasn't it, the way that uh, the people who vandalised the statue uh, basically got away with it? Because the judge thought, oh, well, that's fair enough. Uh, you were upset by it. You were offended. People are apparently offended by it, walking past it every day. Unbelievable. Uh, that shouldn't be happening in a civilised country. Coming up, we'll take loads of your calls. Uh, we're going to be talking, of course, uh, in the final hour, more about the fallout from what's going on in Downing Street, more about the police as well and exactly what role they have actually played uh, in the leaking of these, um, these uh, uh, fines which have been handed out not only to Boris Johnson but also to Carrie uh, and, of course, to Rishi Sunak as well. And why on earth are they still investigating and appearing to want to hand out even more? When's it going to end? This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Across the UK. Online. On DAB. And on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 